uh, want to share with you a message that the Lord has placed on my heart, just in keeping with what this weekend has been all about. Uh, now, all the little ones who are wondering what's happening, why isn't he letting us go, you're going to stay with us today. And uh, they're just going to be here. They're going to be part of this recommitment day, this recommitment service. And, and that's really what I want to preach on, recommitting ourselves to him, recommitting ourselves to him. Uh, when uh, couples have been married for a long period of time. Uh, oftentimes, I know that it happens uh, periodically, sometimes at 25 years, sometimes it happens at 50 years. And you will see a couple that has been seasoned by life stand next to each other and do what's called renewing their vows. They never went anywhere. They, they were faithful to one another all those years. They stayed together. They were with each other through thick and thin, whatever problems and things that they, they dealt with. Here they are some 50 years later. They stand at the altar not to get married for the first time, but to renew and recommit themselves to that person. And it is probably, I think, beyond the actual wedding day where a couple is starting out, to me, it is one of the most beautiful things in life. To see a couple who is, they've been through it together, haven't always gotten along, haven't always seen eye to eye. Somebody once said that couples, if they, you know, if, if they never argue, then one of them's not thinking. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think that's true. You know, we're, we're, we come from different backgrounds, we're put together, and, and we come together in marriage, and all of a sudden now there's just differences, differences in the way you raise, differences... In, in your cultures and all of those things. But yet you, you, you make it through and you recommit yourselves to the Lord. Today is not about you and I, about where we have failed. It's not about where we have, as a church, missed the mark. But today is about simply saying, Lord, we are still yours. And we still want to do what it is that you have in store for us to do. We want, in fact, to do greater things. Jesus told his disciples on one occasion, he said, greater things than these will you do. I don't know about you, but 17 years has been great. But we need to step into greater things. Amen. Believe God for more powerful things in our congregation. Yes, I believe that we have sent people out from time to time and there have been people who have moved on and they've gone to different places, but I believe that what God desires for each and every one of us as Christians is that we will be as effective as we possibly can be in the kingdom of God. And sometimes it requires that we recommit ourselves to the Lord. Maybe we get distracted. Maybe problems in life come along the way and we feel as though somehow those things are more important. But can I tell you today, there is nothing more important than com communing with the Lord and coming to Him and saying, Lord, we are yours because of all that you have done for us. Jesus did not die on the cross 
so that you and I could simply go through the motions of Christianity and go through the motions of church and go through the motions of somehow being quote-unquote religious. There are religious people all over the world who are on their way to hell, but we want to be powerful and effective for the kingdom of God. It could be that your commitment today has become somewhat loose. The thought occurred to me that a loose commitment will always result in a lost commitment if we don't do something about it. Uh, throughout the history of Israel, leaders would often call for the people to recommit themselves to the Lord. Moses, before he died, called the people of Israel together. And he encouraged them and he, he advised them about how they needed to keep their hearts right before God and how it was that they needed to be fully and completely committed to, to the Lord. Then as the people of Israel, that generation would be led by Joshua into the promised land. They would cross the Jordan River and go into the land that God had promised to them. And there they would possess the land as Joshua, the Bible says in Joshua chapter 23, we're not going to turn there and read it, but in Joshua 23, it records for us that Joshua, as he began to be well advanced in years, he again called the people together. And it is there that Joshua is an elderly man said, you know, I want you to know God has been good to this congregation. He's been good to this body. But I want you to know that if you somehow think that God hasn't been good and you you just plan to go and serve idols and serve other gods, then I want you to know this. This is very important, that God has been so good to us that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He recommitted his life to the Lord right then and there. He recommitted his family to the Lord. Joshua was one of those. Josiah, we talked about Josiah on Friday night and how Josiah became king at the age, the young age of eight years old. And Josiah was, was one of those kings who as at the age of 16, the Bible says that he started to seek the Lord. I would love to have a group of 16-year-olds, 17-year-olds, 18-year-olds who will walk into this place more on fire than the 50-year-olds. Who would say we're going to seek God with all of our hearts. We've been seeking the world. We've been seeking other things. But we are going to seek the Lord with everything that is within us. Josiah was a young man. Looked around. Saw all the evil. And said you know what God. You're going to do something about this. I'm going to seek you with all of my heart. But later in his kingship. His leadership over the, the nation. He pulls the people together. And there he recommits himself. And the people to the Lord. Josiah was one of those people. Ezra, after the people came back from Babylonian captivity, some 70 years, shortly after Josiah was king, the people of Judah were going to be carried off into Babylon and be there for 70 years. And now as they have come back and they're trying to rebuild the land and rebuild the temple, Ezra, that great prophet of God, that scribe, stands before the people and there as they begin to recount the sins that they've committed, they recommit themselves to the Lord anew and afresh. Brothers and sisters, that's what today is all about. I want us as a body of believers, from the very youngest to the very oldest, we are going to recommit ourselves to the Lord at the end of this meeting. 
But I want you to hear what it is that I believe the Lord has laid on my heart. But there are four things that we need to recommit to. We've already talked a little bit about this first one on Friday night. Talked about it again last night as Pastor Williams shared from his heart and how absolutely important it is. And I don't think we can hammer this thing home enough. We're going to talk, it about, talk about it again. Amen. The Bible lets us know that we need to recommit ourselves to worship. Worship. We need to recommit ourselves to worship. And, and first of all, in this, the kind of worship is that that I want to deal with is public worship. There is a, there is a vein of theology, there is a thought uh, among people today that they don't need to go to church. You know, I mean, we've got everything in terms of technology. There is, you know, you can hop online on any given Sunday morning. You don't even have to get out of your PJs. You can hop online and you can go to numerous websites. And you can go to this church and that church and you can listen to the pastor. You can watch the worship. I mean, they're streaming video. You can watch it all. And we don't have the technology to do that. Would I do it? Maybe. Maybe not. I don't know. Like they said one time, I have a face more for radio. I don't know about streaming video. But, you know, you can, you can sit right there and you can say, here's my church. My living room, my kitchen, my den, that's my church. No, it's not. In fact, you look in the Bible, and we don't have time to go to all the different places, but Jesus himself assumed that there would be a local church, a local body of believers. When you begin to read in Matthew chapter 18, and Jesus is talking about the, the discipline that we might have to come to an individual in a church, he talks about the fact that that individual may have to be taken before the whole assembly, he says, take them to the church. Now the idea there is not the universal church, all of the world, the global church, but a local church and deal with the issue and work it out together as a body of believers. The assumption there is that Jesus believed there would be a local church. Beyond that, the Bible says this, turn in your Bibles if you would to the book of Hebrews. Book of Hebrews chapter 10. We absolutely need to worship together. Listen to what the writer of the book of Hebrews encourages those who were the recipients of this letter. He encourages them in this. Verse 25 of Hebrews chapter 10. Reading from the NIV, it says, Let us not give up meeting together. As some, he says... This was a problem right back then, all the way back then, as some are in the habit of doing. Interesting. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. That was before they had streaming video, man. That was before anybody could just sit in their living room and watch church. Listen, if you're participating in your living room, you're not necessarily participating in the local body. God is designed for you and I to be a part of a local assembly. And there are people who say, well, you know what? I've got family in this church, but I really like this church. So I'm going to try to hop between the two churches. You're going to get really tired out. You're going to get so tired out and spent that you're not going to commit to one or the other. 
And I am here to encourage you, if you have yet to commit to one place or another, it's time to commit. And we hope that you commit here. We, we would love to keep you. And I know a lot of you who are here today, you're here because you're here. You're, you're part of us. But maybe it is. You say, well, you know, I just, I want to, I want to check out all the flavors. You know what? There's more than 31 flavors in the city. All right. Say it. There are churches of all kinds. You can check them out. You can go to this church, that church, all the other churches. And you know what? You can spend the rest of your life moving around. That's not God's plan. God's plan is for you to commit to one place. Yes. Yes. You don't put, you know, marriages don't put up with that stuff. Right? You got to check out all that's going on around. No, you don't. You need to commit. Commit to one and that's exactly how a marriage works. It works best when you are committed to one. And I want to tell you it works best when you are absolutely committed to one place. Listen, this is not a perfect church. We have never claimed all the 17 years. I know Pastor Paglia, when he was here as the pastor of the church, the founder of the church, he never claimed this was the perfect church. I think, in fact, he would mention that if you're looking for the perfect church, don't stay here. Go find it. Or go start the perfect church. But I'm here to let you know, brothers and sisters, this isn't the perfect place. But we need to commit to wherever it is that we believe God wants us to be. And we need to meet together. He says, listen, and here's what happens as a result. In Hebrews 10, 25, this is what we're able to do as long as we're meeting together says this, goes on and says, but let us encourage one another. You can't do that sitting at home. Mm-hmm. And, and if you think that somehow, you know, you're going to text, you're going to email, you're going to do all the things that technology seems to, and that's how I'm going to encourage my brothers and sisters. No, you know what encourages us when you come together? What encourages each other is when when somebody's sitting next to you you haven't seen for a few days because they've been working and you've been working and you've been going through life and they come together and we get into a worship service like Julian led this morning and we praise the name of the Lord. We magnify the Lord together. That encourages my brothers and sisters. It encourages those that are around you. You can't get that sitting at home. We need to recommit to public worship. In fact, almost every time this word worship is used in the Old Testament, you read it in the Psalms, especially when you you discover this word worship in the Psalms, nearly every single time that it is mentioned, it is mentioned as a call to worship or an invitation to worship. It is mentioned there that worship is something that has to be done together. That in fact, it would say, let us go to the house of the Lord together. It would say, come, let us worship. Not let me worship. It says, let us worship together. We can only do that as we join together and as we worship together. Brothers and sisters, I encourage you to recommit to public worship. That when the church doors are open, you say, I'm going to be here. I'm going to be here to encourage my brothers and sisters in Christ. And I want to tell you, just by your being here, you will encourage them in the Lord. And when you come into the presence of the Lord, you can worship Him in spirit and in truth. We've got to recommit to public worship. We've got to recommit to private worship. Private worship as well. This is absolutely so important. Don't 
Look, don't depend on Sunday to give you all that you need. I, there was a brother, a, a pastor friend of mine, uh, a man that I looked up to, who, who uh, I remember from uh, when I was at Zion a number of years ago. I would be around him, uh, just such a unique guy and, and uh, an individual who the Lord is gifted. He gifted him just to, to be able to teach uh, the Word of God. I mean, he just opened up his Bible. He, he never had notes ever. I mean, he, he has that kind of brain. But Pastor Doug Crandall was one of those individuals who, when you got around him, and he's still pastors in Rhode Island, in East Providence, at Zion Gospel Temple, but you get around Pastor Crandall, and all of a sudden, you know, you'd be sitting there, you'd just be having a normal conversation, and, and he knew my wife's family from New York, and, and uh, you know, he'd, he'd ask how my father-in-law was, or how, you know, how my dad was, he, my, his parents knew my parents, and so we had that connection, and all of a sudden, just in the middle of a conversation, he'd, hallelujah, praise the Lord, uh, he'd be praising God, and he was with me, just hanging out with me in private. And brothers and sisters, I realize that people might think you're a little nuts. <laughs> I'm not suggesting you're talking to your boss in the middle of a project that you're trying to work through. Hallelujah. Although you never know what that might do for your boss. I don't know. Amen. I'll try that, Julian. <laughs> but I'm talking about in private when you are alone and you're in the you're you're by yourself and you know, you're thinking about this thing and that thing. It's, it's good to begin to, to dwell in the presence of God and begin to magnify the Lord. That, that word magnify actually means to enlarge in my vision. If somehow you're focusing on the problems that you're going through and you're dealing with, when you begin to worship in private and you begin to praise Him in private, I want you to know that in that moment now God is going to be the one who will be magnified and exalted and lifted up and shown to be the one who is bigger than all the stuff you have. Listen to what David said in Psalm 63, verse 4. This is what the Bible says. Psalm 63 and verse 4. The Bible says, I will praise you as long as I live. Now here we have not a call to worship, not let us do this, but this is now personal. This is now private. He says, I will praise you. As long as I live. You want to talk about a commitment. That's saying, Lord, I'm in it for the long haul. Lord, I'm not going to bail out when things get bad and things get difficult. But I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. See, there's the outward expression of worship. We have that also in the New Testament. You say, why do you, why do you guys raise your hands and why do you sing so loud and why do you do all these things? Because it seems from Scripture that that's how we ought to praise the Lord, that how we ought to worship God. We we follow the Bible, not the traditions of men who say, no, you got to be a little quieter when you come into the presence of the Lord. Why? God's not nervous. All right. He's not He's not worried about how loud you are when you come into the presence of God. He says, I will praise you as long as I live, I will lift up uh, your name, I will lift up my hands. And the Bible says this, you don't need to turn there, but in Psalm 86 and verse 12, again, he says, I will praise you, O Lord my God, with all my heart, I will glorify your name forever. I will glorify your name forever. So it's public worship and it's private worship. 
But not only that, there is a part of worship that is vitally important that we talked about on Friday night and Pastor Williams did last night, and it is this, the idea of prayer. We've got public worship, private worship, but now we get into the nitty-gritty of what it is that we need to recommit to, and that is prayer. <laughs> God has called each and every one of us to pray with all of our hearts, our souls, and our minds. As I mentioned, Friday night, Josiah was a young king when he started to seek God with everything that is within him. At the age of 16, he called upon God, and the Bible lets us know that essentially he did nothing else really in the kingdom until he was 20, four years later. For four years, he spent his time praying. Imagine that. Now, I know he probably did other things in the kingdom, and I'm sure there were other things that he attended to, but yet the Bible seems to indicate that as far as the reforms he was going to bring, as far as tearing down the idols in the nation, he wasn't going to do anything for four years. He just sought the Lord. Brothers and sisters, I want to tell you that when it comes down to it, Julian is absolutely right when he mentioned that Tuesday night is the most important meeting of the week. Because it is when we come together as a body and we call upon the name of the Lord together. And listen, if you've been missing Tuesday nights, you've been missing the powerful, powerful meetings. People have come together and to pray. And I, I want to encourage you to come on Tuesday nights and let's call upon the name of the Lord with everything that is within us. But beyond that, prayer is our highest priority. And maybe you've let it slip in your life. Maybe prayer is one of those things that you only do when things are really tough. Look, God has called us to, to call upon him at all times. Peter, uh, Paul said to the Ephesian church, pray at all times. He said in another place, pray without ceasing. In other words, have an attitude of prayer. At all times, at all points. Listen, don't wait for things to go well for you. Don't wait for life to be good. Well, that's when I'm going to pray. And that's really what, you know, with... That, you know, people react differently. So you got those who pray when things are going well, but not when things are going bad. And then you got those who only pray when things are going bad, but not when things are going good. Can we just somehow get together on it? And can yeah. we sort of mesh the two together in our lives and pray at all times? We've got to pray and call on the Lord. Someone once said this. They once said the ministry of the pulpit is open to a few. But the ministry of prayer is open to all. Amen. You say, I don't have anything to give to this church. I can't, you know, I can't teach. I can't sing. I can't, you know, I can't speak. I can't do any of those things. Oh, wait a minute. Those aren't the only things you can do. And in fact, those are not the most important things you can do. The most important thing you could do for this body of believers in this church and your brothers and sisters in Christ is to find time to pray for them. You don't understand my schedule. No, I may not understand your schedule, but I'm here to let you know that praying without ceasing means that you can be on your, on your train to work. And under your breath, you can begin to cry out to God and call upon God for whatever is happening in your own life and what's happening in somebody else's life. You can call upon God at any time of day or night and legislation can't throw it out of your life or throw it out of the soul. It'll never throw it out of your spirit and your heart. You can call upon God at any moment of any day. Prayer brings hope in the midst of hopelessness. You don't need to turn there, but in the book of Acts, 
in chapter 12, it's recorded for us that Peter was in prison. Peter was awaiting execution. Herod had killed James, the brother of John. And Herod saw that he was pretty popular for doing so. People seemed to like that, especially those who hated the Christians at that point. They said, yeah, go get another one if you want. So he went out and he got Peter, threw him in prison. Peter's there awaiting execution. And you imagine this, the Bible records for us that Peter was sound asleep in his cell. The night before his execution, he's there chained and he's sleeping. I was going to say like a baby, but not all babies sleep very well. But he would just he would just sound asleep, not a care in the world. In fact, an angel had to come in and tap him. Peter, wake up, wake up! And he woke up, and the chains and the shackles fell off him. And you know, Peter's a little groggy. He doesn't he doesn't quite know what's happening at this point. And the the angel is leading him out of the doors, the doors are swinging open for Peter, and all of a sudden he finds himself out on the street. And he realizes, I'm awake, man, I'm awake. I'm out here in the street. And so Peter goes home. Now get this. Acts chapter 12 and verse 5 says, so Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The church was earnestly praying to God for him. Now, it's in the middle of the night, and it seems like for as long as Peter's been in prison, they've been praying. They've been praying, God, release him. Lord, release him. I love this. This is one of the most comical areas in Scripture. Peter comes up to the door of the house. Knocks on the door. This little girl named Rhoda, who's part of the prayer meeting, goes to the door and looks out, runs back. Says it's Peter. They say, no, it can't be. Let me in. Let me in. Maybe it's his ghost. His ghost. Seriously? You're praying for his release. But nonetheless, they go back and sure enough, opens the door. It's Peter. He's there. See, it was a hopeless situation, brothers and sisters. It was in the middle of that situation that nobody even expected what it was they were praying for. And yet God delivered in the midst of what seemed like a hopeless situation. He delivered hope. God is still in the business of delivering hope if we will call upon God to do the impossible. You know why we pray? It is because we can't do it, but he can. We can call upon God in the midst of hopelessness. Prayer brings us closer to the Lord. There's absolutely no doubt about it that we, when we draw near to God, the Bible says he will draw near to us. When we get closer to him, when we come to him in prayer, God will come by the power of his presence and he will meet us and he will speak to us and he will help us. I believe with all my heart that God wants us to be closer to him and not just as Brother Williams mentioned last night, where we just were all the ones always doing all the talking, and we're always talking to God, and then we run away, and we don't wait to listen to what God has to say to us. God wants us to spend that time in prayer. We've got to recommit ourselves to worship, which involves public worship, private worship, and prayer. And one last thing it also involves, and this one, you're going to just, well, let me just say it, giving. Giving. 
right, said, Pastor, right. you don't understand the economy. I know full well what's going on in the economy. economy. I don't understand everything. I'm not your basic finance guy. I just know it's tough. I know it's difficult. I know it's hard. Financially, it is really, really hard. But I believe that God, what God desires from us is that we be faithful and what it is that we know to do is right. And we do what we can do before the Lord. Not before me. I don't want to know. I don't need to know. What I need to know is that we are being faithful to God and that whatever it is that God has laid on our hearts, that's exactly what we're doing. That we're being faithful in our tithe and in our offering and that we're giving to the Lord. The, the Bible lets us know that one of the problems that Israel had after they came back out of the Babylonian captivity was they were withholding what was rightfully God's. And the prophet Malachi confronted them and said, listen, you are, you are withholding, you're robbing God. You're keeping back the tithe and the offering. What's a tithe? One tenth. Out of, out of $100, it's 10 bucks. God's absolutely fair. He gives you 90 to live on and says, just bring 10 into the storehouse. And you know, the Bible says that when we obey him in that, he says, prove me, test me, and see if I will, as a result of that, not pour out of heaven a blessing that you cannot contain. You say, well, what's God going to give back? It might not be in the same form as what you gave, but there will be blessing in your life if you will obey and recommit to giving. We've got to recommit not only to worship, which involves all of those things, but also recommit to the word. Recommit to the word. We've got to recommit to reading it. How are you ever going to know what it says if you don't pick it up and open it up? You know, a lot of people, they, their Bibles, say, you know, I got a Bible. I got a Bible. It's over there. I, I think I got a Bible. It's somewhere. You know, your Bible should be something that you go to on a regular basis. And I would encourage you on a daily basis. You know why? Because this is the sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. It's the thing that's going to help you when the enemy comes and he tries to bring temptation in your life and he tries to discourage you. The Word of God is going to be what will help you to make it through the temptation. We come back to it time and time again, and yet there's no greater example than that of Jesus when he was out in the wilderness and he was there being tempted by the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. As he fasted and as he prayed, the devil came along and he tempted him. How dare the devil do that? And yet the Bible indicates that was one of the reasons, the whole purpose, he went out there in the first place. The Bible says that he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Imagine that. And Jesus is out there, and now he, the enemy comes along. He says, listen, you just you, you do what I tell you, everything's going to be fine. Jesus said, it is written at every point, at every step. He knew the word, and he was able to resist the temptation of the enemy because he had the book in him, which leads me not only to reading it, but getting it into your heart. Yes, yes. You know, you can read it and then forget about what you've read. I, you know, when it comes to reading, it is one of the greatest frustrations in my life. My wife will tell you. It'll take her two hours to finish a book that will take me three weeks to finish. I'm just, you know, she reads fast, I read slow. I, obviously, I don't talk slow, but you would think I would, since I read slow. 
it's just I'm just a joke. But you know, when when it comes to reading, it's just I want to devour books, but it takes me so long that here's what I do. I don't know if any of you are like this. You start a book, you're like, wow, that's really good. I gotta keep reading. But then after a while, you're like, man, it's taking me so long. You start another one. And you got a pile of books that you started, but you haven't finished any one of them. Anybody here like that with me? Thank you very much. We'll talk later. But you know, you've got to read the Bible. But the interesting thing is this. When I read the Bible, it goes into me not like any other book. I, I, I don't know. I, I can't explain it in that if this is God's book. It is divinely inspired, and so somehow it enters my heart the way no other book does. It enters my life. I can read it and and gain from it and not forget what it is that I've, I've read. But the important thing is you've got to read it so you get it into you. Listen to what the psalmist said, Psalm 119 and verse 11. Turn over there. I want you to see this. This is absolutely important because it's not just reading the Word of God that we've got to, to, to uh, allow into our lives on a regular basis. But we've got to get it in us. Yeah, yeah. Got to get the word in you. Let it be part of your heart, part of your life, part of your thinking. Psalm 119, 119, the longest psalm, the longest chapter in the Bible. Psalm 119, verse 11. And the Bible says this. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Did you hear that? I have hidden your word in my heart, not so that I can impress people with how I quote the scripture, but so that I might not sin against you. That I might not sin against you. There is a reason for that word getting into you. It is so you obey the word, which... I'm getting ahead of myself by mentioning obedience, but nonetheless, I believe that it's in us so that we don't go against what God has to say. There's something else that we need to do. Stay right in Psalm 119 and verse 148. We need to meditate on the word of God. That is, we've got to think about it, dwell on it. You see, the difference between meditation of Eastern religions and the meditation that is suggested in the scripture is this. The meditation that is suggested in the scripture is you are thinking about something, you are putting it into you, whereas the meditation of Eastern religions is the emptying of yourself. Don't empty yourself, folks. Don't empty yourself of what is right. You get what is right into you. Listen to what it says. Psalm 119, verse 148, the Bible says, My eyes... Stay open through the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promises. Anytime you read about promises or decrees or laws or anything like that, in Psalm 119, it equates to the Word of God. It's all about the Word. That entire psalm is about the Word of God. And he says, I'm going to meditate on it. In other words, I'm not just going to, you know, somehow uh, sit here and say, well, I read it. That's enough. No, think about what it is that you've read. Think about how God wants to speak to you. We've got to recommit to the Word And finally, to obey it. Go back to verse 11 of Psalm 119. We've got to obey the word of God. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. 
There is a direct correlation between getting the word in you so that you can obey. So that you can do what it says. James said these words. He says, don't just be a hearer of the word. Be a doer of the word. God is not interested in how well you hear the word. He's interested in how well you not only hear it, but then do it. He wants us to be doers of the word. Listen, brothers and sisters, those who have done anything for the kingdom of God and in the kingdom of God have been doers of the word. They haven't just been people who talk about it and people think about it. They haven't been people who just meditate on it. They've actually done it. They've gone out and lived it. They've done a Nike. You just do it. Right? You get it in you and you live it. That's what it's about. We've got to recommit to the word. We've got to recommit also to walking in him. Walking in him. And that is to please God instead of man. Turn over in the New Testament to uh, 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. We've got to recommit to walking in him. Recommit to the word. Recommit to worship. And recommit to walking in him. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 4. Listen to Paul as he speaks to the Thessalonian Christians. This is one of the earliest books written by Paul, and it is one of the, one of the great books, a very basic book, and an important book. I would say if you are a new Christian, I would encourage you not only read the book of John, but also take time to read the book of 1 Thessalonians. It will help you immensely. But listen to what he says. On the contrary, in verse 4, chapter 2, verse 4. On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. Now listen to this last sentence. We are not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. In the end, man, isn't, your, man is not your judge. You're not going to answer to mankind. You're going to answer to God. And Paul says, I want to please God. Above all else, I want to please Him. I want to make sure that I'm pleasing Him. Now, the wonderful thing is, is when you please God, you will learn that the important part of Scripture lets us know that we need to, to also have a good name. That we need to live a Christ-like life. We need to live a life of love, a life of compassion. We need to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord, not allowing things into our bodies that will destroy us. That all of these things are important, but it starts very basically with saying, Lord, I want to please you. Brothers and sisters, we've got to recommit to walking in Him to say, Lord, I'm going to please you. I don't want to even please myself. Let it be you first. We've got to recommit to walking in him so that his life will be formed in us. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 19. Galatians 4 and verse 19. Listen to what the Bible says. Paul is writing to the Galatian church. And he's talking about how much it is that he has invested in them. He's prayed for them. But the end... Part of it is this. What needs to be accomplished is this. My dear children, he says, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ 
is formed in you. Notice that. Until Christ is formed in you. Do you know that he saved you so that his life could shine through you? He saved you so that he could live his life in you and his life through you. Brothers and sisters, I believe with all my heart that oftentimes in Christianity we get so hung up and caught up with our personalities coming through and, you know, we do this or that in the church and, and it's all about us. And you know what? In the end, it's not all about us. It's all about Jesus. Whatever is going to happen in this church, whatever will happen in your life as a believer, it's all about Jesus. It's all about his life being formed in you. There are times where his life being formed in us means that we have to leave aside some things of the world. Some things that aren't beneficial to us. They may not be wrong, but they're not beneficial, Paul said. We've got to leave it aside. It's like when the sculptor who was sculpting this massive, massive stone. Somebody walked up to him and said, sir, may I ask what it is that you're sculpting? He said, oh, yes, yeah, sure, no problem. It's an elephant. The guy looked at this massive stone and said, well, you know, it's certainly big enough to turn out to be an elephant. But he said, I have to ask you. How do you get this big piece of stone to be in the shape of an elephant? And he said, you know, it's really, really very simple. He said, you just chip away everything that does not look like an elephant. Now, if you're not a sculptor, that's a, that's a tall order. But if you're an artist, it's no big deal. You see, brothers and sisters, in the end, the wonderful thing about the scripture, the wonderful thing about God is is that he's going to help you just chip away everything that doesn't look like Jesus. He wants Jesus to shine through you. It, look, don't worry about you, okay? In fact, Jesus came, the Bible says he humbled himself to the form of a servant. He humbled himself to be like you and me, to die on the cross so that you and I could go free and we could be free of sin. That life wants to come shining through us so that we can be more like Jesus. His life is formed in us. We need to recommit to walking in him and walking in the light. You don't need to turn there, but listen to 1 John chapter 1 and verse 6. It says, if we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. I'm a Christian, but you're going out and doing the exact opposite of what the Bible tells you a Christian ought to be doing. I didn't write this, thank God, John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote it and said, you're lying. You're walking in darkness. You claim to have fellowship with him. You claim to be in the light, but you're in darkness. You don't have fellowship. Brothers and sisters, God has called us to walk in the light because we are walking in a darkened world. We're living in a darkened world, and we need to turn the light on. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. The last thing that we need to recommit to before we pray as a body of believers and recommit our all to the Lord, we need to recommit to working for him. You know, so much of what takes place in the church is done by people. You know, it doesn't magically happen. When the garbages are empty, there's somebody who has come into the building to empty when you notice that there's not paper on the floor, it's because somebody has vacuumed it. When you notice that, you know, the, the things, and I know we do a massive cleaning periodically, we do all of that, we come and we wipe things down, we really attack the building. 
because there are places that, that you know, other people can't get to. But when you see that the building is, is somehow well kept, it is because it is people who has put time and effort into doing that. You see that, that the worship just, we don't walk in and somehow there's a heavenly choir. But, but Julian leads from the drums. I'll from time to time lead from the pulpit. And Ryan will play the piano. And Brandon will help us with the sound. And, and we've got people around us who are helping us to do things in the ministry. When it all comes down to it, brothers and sisters, it takes us to do it. It takes workers. It takes people saying, I'm ready. I'm willing. I will, I will do what God wants me to do. When we do have children's church, it is because there are teachers downstairs who have given themselves to working. Brothers and sisters, we've got to come to the place where we say, Lord, I'm going to recommit to working for you. Yes. Say, how much am I going to get paid? Well, Candace just recently got a raise. <laughs> For something she brought to my attention and it went from zero to extra zeros at the end of the zeros. This is for the Lord, folks. And look, we, we're, we are here doing this for the kingdom and doing it for the Lord and, and there are people working and, and yet there's so much more that needs to be done, so much more that can be done. Listen, Jesus, Jesus told his disciples this. He had the same problem we have from time to time. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 37. Matthew 9 and 37. I want you to see this. Matthew 9 and 37. The Bible says this. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. The job is so huge. The job is so big. Even Jesus said, the job is so big, but the workers, they're not lining up the way that we want them to. To say, I'm available. He had called his disciples and he gave them a tall order, a tall task when he met with them. Right before he ascended into heaven after the resurrection, Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. We anticipate probably there were more than just the 11 at that point, disciples, that there might have been more who were present on that day, but as many as there were, imagine, go, however few you were, into all the world. The job is huge, but the workers are few. Brothers and sisters, we've got to recommit to working for him because it's a big harvest, and there are few workers. Not only that, there is an urgent need. I'm going to read this last scripture. You don't need to turn there. With John chapter 4 and verse 35. And I want you to see the urgency of this need. Jesus said to his disciples, he said, do, not, do you not say four months more and then the harvest? But Jesus is talking to them in terms that they could understand. They looked out and, and they saw the fields that were there. And for them, the timing was not yet for the harvest. Now, Jesus is going to take a very common picture that they had, and he is now going to equate it spiritually. He's not saying, go out into the fields over there that you see and start harvesting. It's too soon for that. But he's now taking this and bringing this to a spiritual level. He says, I tell you, 
open your eyes, look at the fields. He's talking, and we don't know the gestures that he made, but it might have been at that moment as this woman he had been talking to at the well had gone into town and was bringing all the townspeople out to, to meet and to see Jesus. I would like to imagine, and I'm, I'm suppose I'm reading into this a little bit, that Jesus looked away from the, the actual fields and looked at the people coming and says, don't say that there are four months only. He says, I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for the harvest. Brothers and sisters, there is an urgent need. He saw people out there who were lost, who were hurting, who were dying. And he says, no, no, it's not, it's not later, it's now. Brothers and sisters, we're living in a world where the time is now. The day, today is the day of salvation. Today is the time. You don't have to wait. You don't have to think, well, you know, I'm going to wait in order to witness to somebody, tell them about Jesus. No, you don't. You don't have to wait. You can tell them about Jesus right now and let them know that he died on the cross for their sins. And you can tell them about what he's done for you. And I want you to know that your testimony can be a challenge to them and an encouragement to them that they too can come to know this wonderful Savior who saves from sin. The one thing that mankind cannot do, Jesus has done. And Jesus can do for them. The urgent nature of this need, brothers and sisters, should be a challenge to us all that we need to recommit to working for him at every level, at any level. It's not just about sharing our faith, but it's also about doing the work of the ministry, doing the work of the Lord. Paul said that he, God had given them the ministry of reconciliation. That what God has called us to do is to reconcile people to Christ. To reconcile them to God. And I, I'm here to let you know, brothers and sisters, what God has called us as a church to do. And I come back to our, our, our mission statement once again. Praise Tabernacle exists to make Christ known. It is basic. It is simple. And yet I believe with all my heart it ought to challenge us. Not only in our daily lives, our individual lives, but as a body. Listen, Community Hot Dog Day, I love it. I love the idea not because I love hot dogs, which I do. But I love it because I believe with all my heart it helps us to create a connection there with yes. people. People in the neighborhood, people who need to know Christ. Listen, we're not here to we're not here to somehow beat people on the head. No, that's the Holy Spirit's job. Right. That's what the Holy Spirit's gonna do. Let the Holy Spirit right. work. We've got to just show the love of Jesus yeah. in any way we can. And listen, when we get out there, be encouraged in the Lord to just hand them a tract, hand them a flyer, let them know that the Lord loves them and we love them as a church. But God has called us to work for him. And maybe it might be that he's calling you to do something you've never done before. Ever. And all of a sudden now, you're there. It's at that moment where God is saying, it's time to move into a place that I believe, brothers and sisters, God is calling us to. Where we will begin to see a great and a mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And we'll begin to see a change in this body. Listen, God has called us to reach a lost and a dying world. There's a big city out there. And there are a few still in this room. We need to believe that God is going to do great and mighty things. And help us to reach the lost. I want us to stand together today. I have told us and we preached to the best of my ability this morning. <laughs> about what it is that we need to recommit to. Maybe there are things that you could think of that I did not think of. 
Maybe the Holy Spirit is speaking to you even now about what it is in your life that you need to recommit to. Maybe it's something I didn't mention, but that's the Holy Spirit who's going to help you. But today I believe with everything that is within me that not only as a body of believers together in, in this room, but also as individuals, we need to recommit ourselves to the Lord. That's what this entire weekend has been about. 17 years is not necessarily a milestone. 20, that'll be a milestone for sure as a church. But really, I just we felt in our hearts early on, a few weeks ago, that this was not going to be a rededication of the building. We dedicated the building once to the Lord. It is being used for that purpose, being used for the Lord. But this is about us rededicating ourselves to the Lord. And say, Lord, we're going we're gonna to be yours. We are yours today to use for your kingdom. We want to be our very best for you, O oh God, that we absolutely can be. And I want you to know, brothers and sisters, if you will give your best to the Lord, he will always take it and he'll use it. And you know what he'll do? He'll multiply it. You know, there was a little boy who was present when Jesus fed a large number of people one day. And the disciples brought that little boy to Jesus. His mama had had some forethought to pack him a lunch. Always like moms. They're the ones thinking about it. Mom packed a lunch for this little guy. Go out and hear Jesus. He's out there and he's the only one with a lunch. The disciples bring him to Jesus and he had just a, a couple of loaves and uh, of bread and some fish. And Jesus said, fine, have everybody sit down. And he took what that little boy gave to him, that meager amount, that small amount, and the Bible lets us know that he multiplied it. Amen. Look, you might say, I don't have much to give to God. That's all right. He doesn't need much. Amen. You just give what you have. Yes. Yes. It's like the little boy who came into the, the church and the pastor got up and said, you know, it's time to give. And he came to church. He wasn't familiar with the, the whole concept of giving. And the little boy, you know, he, he reached down his pocket. He had nothing to give. Nothing to give. And it bothered him a little bit. He kept coming back to church until one Sunday he came in. He was so happy he couldn't wait for the offering. He could not wait. And so he, he stood there and the pastor said, now it's time to give. And it was one of those churches where they come to the front and they give. They drop it in a, a bowl or a bucket there in the front. And the little boy stood up. And he ran to the front and he got up on the table where the offering bucket was and he sat in the offering bucket. And the pastor looked down and said, little boy, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's going on? And he said, pastor, you know, for, for weeks, I've heard you say that it's time to give and every time I don't have money in my pocket. But then he said, I heard about what Jesus did for me and how he gave his all for me. And so today I've come and I want to give my all to him. Amen. Brothers and sisters, it's about us recommitting our all to the Lord. I want everybody who can, I want you to make your way to the front of this building right now. Yes.